This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Before we begin today's episode, I want to advise caution. Today's conversation discusses child abuse, sexual abuse, and human trafficking, and could be triggering for some listeners. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Today, I sit down with speaker, singer, and survivor, Sonia Bruner. Sonia is the founder of 50 Shades of Grace, a ministry that helps people deal with the pain of their past and those impacted by physical and sexual abuse. Sonia leads her ministry from a place of personal experience. Something I appreciate about our conversation is Sonia's openness in sharing the painful parts of her story and the redemption she has experienced through the love of Jesus. She says, my story is 50 shades of hurt and pain. Then Jesus rescued me and changed my life. What Jesus did was create a canvas of love and hope, and my life became 50 Shades of Grace. If Sonia's story speaks to you today, would you take a moment and share it with a friend? Good morning, Sonia, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yes, it's going to be a great conversation. Just an opportunity to dig into your story a little bit. And I know you yeah. have a lot of things to share with us. And so as we dive in, go ahead, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your family and what you do on a day to day basis. I'm Sonia Bruner, and I'm a mom of two boys. I'm also a pastor's wife, Pastor Bruner. Um, I, ref- I talk about him a lot. Um, we are on staff here at a, at a church here in Oklahoma City as the family and children's pastor. He's bivocational, which is our first gig as bivocational. I have a lot to talk about that. We can talk about that later, but we, that's our current assignment for Jesus. I also have a ministry called 50 Shades of Grace. I travel all over the country. I lead worship, um, do a lot with music, and then also share my story and speak um, and, sh- and help people deal with the pain of their past. Well, and that's what we're going to dive into a bit today. I mean, family is this thing that we all, uh, even if you don't have it, what we think about it is it should be safe. It should be this place where we thrive. It should be this place where we run to when things are going you know, crazy in our lives everywhere else. But your life was anything but that growing up. And so will you take us back, share a little bit about your childhood? Like, what was it like for you growing up? Well, I, I had a single mom and she was, I talk about this a lot. She was lonely and lost and looking for love. And she found that in really unhealthy ways through men, lots of different men. My childhood was hard to, I always try to share with people that it's one thing to grow up and, and we all have ideology of, you know, a mom and a dad and grandparents and all of that. But I didn't have that. My mom was really a loner and she had been hurt by her family. So she took us and left. And so Mm -hmm. that's what kind of set up 
because things are cyclical is, is right. why I mentioned that. And so that kind of set us up to become that very story, right, that she had. And so she was on her own and looking for love and found that, tried to find that in relationships with different men. And one in particular, uh, she would leave me with him when she would go to work. And um, he was really actually very sweet, played Barbies with me, told me I was beautiful, said that he loved me, first man ever to tell me he loved me. And I remember thinking, you know what? This must be what it's like to have a daddy. And that was kind of my first experience with, with having a man in the house. And little did I know that that kind of love would change the entire course of my life. Um, it started with hands that lingered too long, lips that touched places in a five-year-old that should never be touched. And it kind of escalated from there. Um, the thing about a story like mine, and there's so many different ones, right? Mm -hmm. We all have stories is that it doesn't start out hurtful. I think it's really important for um, listeners to understand that it doesn't always start out scary. It starts yeah. out groomers. I, that's what I call him. They will have you sit on their lap and it can be tickling. And as a parent, I have tickled my kids, but there's a big difference in what a groomer does and what a typical, you know, grandparents, parents do. Um, and it exactly starts with a hand that lingers too long on a body part mm -hmm. that shouldn't be touched lips, then find places and, and escalates. Right. And so a lot of people will say, you know, I bet you were scared. Actually, as a little girl, I didn't know any different. That was right. normal to me. And so, you know, it kind of escalated from there when it did get scary. And I did, I would protest and cry and, and say no and, and be afraid. That is when the threats came. Hmm. If you don't do this, I will hurt you and your mom. Hmm. And I remember specifically my mom had left me with him and she went to work. And when she came back, he purposely picked a fight with her. And I watched him, I bet I was about five years old. I watched him pick a fight with her and he beat her in the face over and over until she slumped to the floor. Oh my gosh. And in that moment, when a child sees something like that, it, it can change your entire being. It can change everything, you know, um, and that's when you make a decision to survive or to just crumble. And so um, I'm a survivor for sure. Yeah. And it was in that moment when he looked at me and said, you did this, this is your fault. I knew that I was going to do whatever he said. Mm -hmm. And that's how my life went from five on. And so I learned really quickly that love hurts and it's probably not real. And if it is real, it's going to hurt you. Right. And so I remember describing it this way. I remember feeling stripped of human emotion. So my childhood was stripped of human emotion. I was no longer human and I needed to do that in order to survive and to get through what I did. And I remember my lowest point came when I was probably six years old at this time. So a year had been going on where this was, I thought everybody's households were like this. I thought everybody went through that and he sold me to other men who mm. paid to have sex with me and in not your just own one. home. Actually, no, I don't, I can't remember ever being in the apartment that my mom and I shared. He would take me to the place that he lived oh. and then they would come over from there. But see so many women who are in dating relationships that have kids will do that. They're just trying to make it right. They're just, they have a job and there's their partner, their boyfriend, and they leave the kids with them. And I'm not saying everybody, because I never want to put, put everybody in the same pocket. Right. right. But, mm -hmm. but that is where trouble can start is somebody who is not related to that person. Somebody who's not, mm -hmm. hasn't been in the picture very long. 
um, unless you know that person really well and they've proven themselves to be mm-hmm. their character and who they say they are, things can happen. So that's where that took place. And I just remember I had this one gentleman, I share this story because it, it, it just is such a picture because I still to this day, we'll have people come up to me when I share my story and I speak all over, right? They'll say, I just never knew this was happening. Mm. And I'm an American girl yeah, with all different walks of life. Every color of skin hurt me. Every walk of life, every age bracket hurt me. Um, we want to put compartmentalize things um, like this because our brains can't really handle it. Right. right. And so we want to just say, well, it's because of this, or it looked like this, or this is what this is. Only a certain type of man or woman would do this to a kid. Mm, We can't really do that because it was all different, all all different people for me. And I remember one specific time um, there was a gentleman there. He, he actually was very handsome. I remember specifically thinking, oh, okay, someone's nice here. Somebody is going to be nice to me. And he looked me right in the eye and you could see the torment in his face. You could see the, the turmoil and he took off his t-shirt and he covered my face and then raped me. Oh my gosh. And so that is my childhood. My childhood was, this is what love is hurt. Mm-hmm. People will ask me then what, you know, what happened when your mom found out? Well, one that's day what she, I was going to say. Like, I mean, how did, like this whole time, how long did it take her actually? Years actually years in that relationship. And what was so hard is he, he was abusive. He beat her a lot, even though she didn't know this was happening to me. She stayed in a relationship that was not healthy herself. And so, yeah, there's just so many, there's so many question marks. Right. Um, and we all have reasons why we do what we do, but I remember her asking me one day out of the blue, she said, is this man hurting you? And I said, yes. And I never saw him again. Although that sounds great. It didn't take very long. And she blamed me for ruining her chance at happiness. That was the love of her life. And so she blamed me. You're a dirty girl. You asked for it. You must have seduced him. Okay. I'm about nine years old at this time. So it's been happening for about four, four years. Mm. I don't even know what that word means. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't have no idea what seducing a man would be. right. Right. But she twisted that in her head and then blamed me. And then beat me. And that's when the beatings and the abuse from my mom at my mom's own hands started with me. And just, I mean, all I heard as a child was nobody will ever love you. Mm. You're not worth anything. You're a dirty girl. Only dirty girls have stuff like that happen to them. So there was an intense, firm belief that I had done something compared to the other good children. I had done something that was bad because only bad girls do stuff like that. Even well, though that stuff was done to me, but it, it in my brain, it translated to, I must be bad because I did that. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's the way the human brain oftentimes works, right? Like right. We, we take on what people who are supposed to be caregiving for us, whatever they're putting on us, we do take that on. I mean, that forms our very brains. And so exactly. you said my mom took us where there did you have siblings in the home with you at this point no and to my knowledge i've never had a brother or sister i don't i don't there are no other okay. kids so i'm an only child this episode is brought to you in part by beyond ordinary women ministries which prepares christian women for leadership at bow we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone so whom do you influence Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, 
or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. You get to 12 years old, and I know it sounds like your mom didn't beat you, didn't do any of those kinds of things until you were nine. And then nine to 12, it was mainly just you and her. Right. What took place that like set you free from this obviously severe abuse that you're experiencing? So back in those days, we would have telephones that had cords or receivers. Mm -hmm. You could twist Mm -hmm. off the cord. And that was one of the ways she would go to work, but she'd keep me in my, in my house. And I was not allowed to leave my little, we had a two bedroom apartment. I was not allowed to leave the bedroom or I'd be beat. That was the rule. Um, I was very malnutritioned. I didn't have a lot of food. I never could come out of the room with her being home. I could never be in her presence. And the only time I ever saw my mom basically from nine years old on was to beat me. Like she, she just did kind of did that daily. And so I was really lonely. I remember, I remember feeling really lonely and just kind of thinking this is it. I mean, this is, were you going to school? I was going to school until the beatings got too much where there was too Mm -hmm. much markings. And then she would keep me home and the school system actually sent, um, a teacher over, but my mom punched her in the face. (gasps) And so the next time, um, somebody came back, it was a, it was the teacher or actually a social worker and and a a man. Uh, Yep. And a man, a detective. My mom was really intimidated by men. Didn't like them at all. So the beatings were severe. She kept me home. She'd take pieces of the phone with her. So there was no dial tone. So I couldn't call for help. Um, I was about two weeks away from turning 12 years old. The lady had been to the house, had been punched. The social worker and the detective came back and said, you know, they sat me down with my mom. She was kitty corner from me within two feet of me, which is a huge mistake that law enforcement does. That's huge. Questioning the victim in front of the perpetrator right. is never a good truth. situation. Yep. You're not going to tell the truth. You can't because it's survival mode. Mm-hmm. And they said, is she doing these things to me? I said, no, which led to an additional six or seven months of, of abuse at her hands. And the neighbors, we lived in an apartment complex and the neighbors could hear her throwing me against the wall. They could hear it. They could hear the abuse going on and would call the police. And so like, it was severe. I remember I was sitting on my bed. She had been in to beat me really bad. I was hurting worse than normal. So I wonder, I'm almost wondering if something was sprained or or not broken, but sprained for sure. And, and I said these words out loud, God, if you're real, help me. Because when I had asked my mom, you know, do we believe in God? Why don't we go to church? She said, well, God's never done anything for us. We're not doing nothing for him. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the atmosphere in our home where we, we, you know, God wasn't a part of it. That's why when I'm sitting there broken and beaten and I said, God, if you're real, help me. The very next day I was starving at this point. So I snuck out of my room to um, try to find something to eat. And the I, for some reason, I looked at the phone Mm -hmm. for some reason I looked at the phone and I went to the phone and I heard a dial tone. Oh, wow. 
I called the police. 11 years old, I called the police. Yeah. And I was little. So when the lady said, I said, is Detective Wakefield there? She said, no, I'm sorry. He's on a call. I didn't know that my situation was an emergency. I just think that's so precious because I was trying to be grown up. I was trying to be like, you know, polite and I left a message, but here's the problem. What's going to happen when my mom comes home Mm -hmm. and the phone rings and she sees I've been out of my room? Well, I'm going to be beat. That's right. There's no, no, there's no doubt about it. So I left a message and went back to my room and basically I share, I waited to die. And the reason I, I, I I pretty much knew as a kid that I would die at her hands. I just, I just knew it. I felt it deep inside. So I was like, I think, I think that's, what's going to happen. And I'm so sad to say that I was okay with that because it was better than how I was living. So that just kind of tells you what was my childhood like? Yeah. Very hopeless, very desperate, very sad for sure. And so she comes home from work and the phone rings and I hear her voice say, Sonia, your friend is on the phone. Oh no. And I'm like, she hasn't talked nice to me in years. So I was like, okay. ooh. So I go out, I answer the phone and I have this big fake smile on my face and I hear his voice, Sonia, are you okay? And I said, no. And he said, I'll be right there. So I hang up the phone and the miracle is she didn't say a word to me. She was really hateful with her words. She didn't say a word to me. She didn't lay a hand on me. I went back to my room and I sat on the bed five or 10 minutes later. I hear this big commotion at the door, a lot of cursing going on. Mm. And all of a sudden my bedroom door flies open and it's detective Wakefield. And this boy was big. He was probably a good 350, 400 pounder. He looked like Hulk Hogan (laughs) with the mullet. Right. And there he stood in the door. I mean, I tell, I share this a lot because I'm so pro law enforcement big time. And he stood in the door, detective Wakefield. And this is what's really important too. And I'm so glad you're videoing this too, for those of you that can't see sad for you, but (laughs) it's really good. This is the picture of Jesus. And this is how I started this whole thing. I'm broken and battered. I had just called the police on my own parent. Nobody loved me. Nobody cared about me. This guy comes in. He didn't have to say a word. He saw me for who I was. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was this. Reach out. And all I did is this. Yeah. And that's the gospel. Mm. That is the gospel. People think they have to do things and jump through hoops and clean up and do this and do that. That's not who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. You could never clean up enough for our God. That's right. He takes you just as you are and works with that and does spectacular, beautiful grace upon shades and shades and shades and shades and beautiful colors of grace, Mm -hmm. 50 shades, at least of grace. So that that's my story. That is literally my story. I got rescued, was put in foster care and that the rest is history. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, not everybody's foster care story is that, and I don't necessarily want to dive into that, but I do want to know, like, how did you end up coming to meet Christ? And I mean, you have great things to say about your foster care experience. If yeah, I mean, it definitely was it was safe. I'll say that it was safe. It wasn't um, physically abusive. I, they took me to church. Church was really freaky. The kids were weird. The church people were weird, but they smelled good. And I remember there was a, a gentleman, his name was Mr. Gene. I'm walking in, think about it. I'm now 12 years old. Cause I had been in a group home for a couple of weeks till they found me a place to stay. Right. I have slept with so many men oh, God. at this point. I am a 12 year old going on 27 
like walking in the door of a church for the first time. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the parents like, oh my goodness, let's oh, let's keep our kids away from her. Like, woo, keep our husbands away from her, right? I mean, let's yeah. just be real. Like it, like that's that's it. And so I walk in and I always had this joy. I will say that I'm a really bubbly, like joyful, fun person. And I had that, and I know Jesus gave that to me as a kid, and it just, I was born with it, and I know that's from him. So when I came to church, I certainly was quiet and very distrusting of people, completely stripped of emotion, right? But there was Mr. Gene, and Mr. Gene looked me right here. His Mm. eyes never lowered below here. He was an older gentleman. He reached in, he was greeting at the door that day, and he handed me a piece of gum and said, you are the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Thank you for being here today. I hope you have a great day. And that was it. I went to the youth group. I was, I went just going into seventh grade. If that wasn't the hardest thing ever, hardest time in your life to be oh transitioning from, from what I went through to, I'm telling you, it's a miracle. I'm even like here today, yeah. but I went to this event with our youth group and it was the guy who wrote crossing the switchblade. I can't think of his name. Anyway, he was, he was at this arena for youth and was talking about, we all have a choice to make. We either go our own way or we go with God. And it's our choice. Jesus weeps when we're weeping and he never wanted those hard things to happen to us. And I remember feeling ticked off mm-hmm. like the, this rage that I can't even describe. If you're so loving, how could you have let those things right. happen to me? And what I what I like to share with people is I had to get real. That was the truth. Mm-hmm. I was mad. I was ticked off and I was very distrusting of God. Yeah. I mean, is he even real? Cause well, how would you let, if he's, if he is God, why would he let that happen? And I told him the truth. That's the first thing. I, I think the biggest thing, the success to my relationship with him is I told him the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the truth. It's the and best way if, to be. Mm-hmm, talk about dealing with crud. I mean, I, he literally forced me even coming to know him. Let's deal with it, lady. Let's do it, girl. We got, we got to get real. Yeah. And so I did, I, I felt something's kind of break crack in my heart. And I could feel in, a, in the best way possible. I could feel him drawing me to him. And when we got to the part of that message where he said, if you want to make Jesus the boss of your life, I want you, I want you to come forward and you're going to do that. And I did. I mean, I feel like I levitated. <laughs> I didn't, but I feel like I did right, right. to the front and I threw myself on my knees and hundreds of kids were for, went forward and I was all by myself and I went forward and I did it. I, I mean, I, I literally asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And when I opened my eyes, my entire youth, youth group was on their knees. We had about 30 kids in the youth group and they mm-hmm. were there weeping. It's just such a beautiful picture. And in that group was Pastor Ricky McCotty Hot Hot. So I've really? literally known my husband since before I was human to when I got saved. Um, he's been with me the whole time, like literally the whole day, the whole way. And so just so cool what God does. That's cool. And Teenage years were hard. I certainly pressed the envelope. I was boy crazy. That had a lot to do with my past and the switch was flipped early on in my life. So I was, I was always testing the boundaries and I, you know, was doing the church thing and, and growing in the Lord. That's the, that's the thing that kept me as I was devouring scripture because I, I really want to know who this Jesus dude was. And it really did change my life, but I still had to learn. He had a lot to reprogram. This is 
what love is. This is what it isn't Mm -hmm. and healthy boundaries. And this is what a lady in Jesus looks like and acts like it does. Um, These are the things that will help you to grow in a spiritual way. These are the things that could hurt you if you pursue them anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn all that, right? You know, I had to learn what a family looked like, a mom and a dad. And and I learned that through my, my foster home to some degree, you know, there was a lot that I learned in those days. But again, it all came back to being real with Jesus, given my heart and my life. If you can think about how difficult that would have been to trust somebody I cannot oh. see with my entire being mm-hmm. willingly. Usually it was forced upon me, right? It was right. taken from me, but I willingly gave it, which is what Jesus demands. Mm-hmm. And he could work so with that. So did you stay with the same foster family until you aged 18, out of until foster? I was 18. Yep. I okay. did. Okay. That's incredible because that also doesn't happen that often. Exactly. And it was not, like I said, it was not abusive. They were good people. It, it was really good. Talked about this a little bit. I mean, we come to know Christ and it is this slow process. Yes, we are immediately a new creation in him. So his blood covers us. His righteousness covers us. But it is a lifelong process to become like him. And so with someone who's experienced the level of trauma that you have, I can only imagine some of the things that you walked through. And so are there any things that you can think about, like teenage, even adult years, where something maybe triggered you and you really had to work back through, like, no, I do belong to God. I am loved by God. I am his creation versus that nobody wants me. Well, I'm just going to tell you, I'll be 53 in June and I still still work through through that. That's, that's (laughs) my, that when Satan, I'm feeling good and I've had a lot of success in ministry and I'm doing really good and people are getting saved and it's powerful and it's fun and it's cool and it's hard and it's exhausting and all of that. Right. And I can be feeling really secure within myself. And that's not always a bad thing because I do acknowledge that Jesus it's because of him, right? So it's right. not it's not being hoity-toity, but I can be feeling good. And I feel like that is when Satan goes, oh, no, not today, and messes with me. And so I'm no different, right? That's I worry right. about what I look like on camera. I worry, I mean, stupid stuff. I worry about, am I a good mom? That That's oh, one area yes. in my life that I never let myself off the hook. And being a mom was a really big miracle in my life. Mm. Um, I, I didn't abuse my kids. I, I didn't hurt them in any way, mm-hmm. um, mentally, physically. I, I had them in church. They've had a mom and dad who have served Jesus their whole lives. I tried to do the right thing. And I'm learning. I have grown kids now. One is 23, mm-hmm. one is 19. And they are their own people. That's just right. Just as Rick and I were, just as you were. They have their own choices. This idea that you and I are in control <sighs> is the biggest lie we, we allow ourselves to believe. I know. And it's so moms frustrating, re- right? Yes. Yeah, you're moms like- are super bad at that. We think, okay, we're running the household. You know, we decide if we go to Christmas at grandma's, we do this, we do that. We, It's delusional to think we're in control. To answer your question, I still struggle with that. I can go and share my story and preach the gospel, share the gospel with a crowd of people. And people get saved. And I know that has, we don't save anybody. I'm, I'm not saying that I do, but no, I know. You're really, really good. Though, and like it. this God, I saw God use my story today. I saw him use that and feeling really good in that. And then I think, 
you know what? I don't know if I said that right. I don't know if I did that right. I don't know if my response was correct. You know what? I should have done this. I should have put, and I start ripping it apart. And women are so guilty of that. Men do it too, but women are especially hard on themselves doing that. And so I'm always looking for that. And, and the other side too, is I carry, and this is something I don't really talk about very much, but I carry a lot of people's stuff. Mm. I carry husband's stuff with their wives. I carry wives stuff with their husbands. I carry teenager stuff with their parents and their boyfriends and their I carry because why? Because I'm a safe place to reach out to and share their stories with and share what's yeah. hurting them because that's my ministry. That's what I do. So they reach out to me and I carry a lot of people's stuff. Mm. As I've gotten older, I've learned, I've had to learn how to have set healthy boundaries for myself. Um, when I speak to people, I don't let them go on and on. I, I set yeah. time limits to it, but I had to, I learned that from, from one of my pastors that has a psychology degree. And he said, you're going to kill yourself. If you do this, if well, you yeah, just let everybody overload. Take, yep. You're going to take two hours of your time when you could talk, they could say it in 30 minutes or less. You need to do that. So stuff like that I've learned. Um, but I still doubt myself. I still think, and it's the thread, like Rick always tells me, your story isn't a chick story, Sonia. Your story is, I just want somebody to love me. Won't somebody really, truly love me? And he said, I grew up in a Christian home. That's my husband. I grew up, but I never felt good enough. Yep. I wanted to be loved just for who I was. And he said, your story, that's the common thread. I just okay. want to be loved. That's the, that's really the power of the story. Cause not everybody's going to have a story like mine, but everybody right. will have a story. And it's not a competition. That's the other thing people will say, well, I don't have a testimony like yours. I hate that. I mean, I literally want to throw up when people say that I know, to me. I do too. Because I'm like, listen, be glad if you were raised in a place in a, where, that where you, you were loved. Font- That's right. Yes. I would kill for that. And, and in fact, <laughs> I'll even say to my boys, you have no idea. Yeah. Mom could go to prison and I would thrive. You boys who have grown up and don't have any street smarts would not do well in prison. And we just <laughs> laugh hysterically over that because it's kind of true. Like mom could rule that place because I had to, I'm, I'm scrapper. Like I had to learn that I'm being silly. I probably couldn't handle it, but I'm just, you know what I mean? It's like, I do know what you mean. Praise the Lord that my kids never had that. That's right. Their hardest thing was if they could, if their friend would let them play dodgeball or not, like their hardest thing, you know what I mean? And so praise the Lord for that. That's, That's right. a praise, right? That, that is a so. praise. Well, and I mean, your salvation story may not be this big, but you never know too what may happen in your life down the road. I mean, I've seen some people who they're like, we had nothing ever happened to us. And then, oh my <laughs> gosh, this happened. And it's like, not that that's the only thing God can use, but God does. I mean, he uses everything from mm-hmm. the tragic story to the, no, I mean, I grew up in a safe place. My parents weren't perfect, but they apologized and they loved me. And that was awesome. You know, and how much faith does it take to follow Jesus longer? I know. Okay. So you grew up in a Christian home and you got, you, you asked Jesus in your heart at seven. Uh, It's not a competition because guess what folks, if it's a competition, Jesus wins. He had no sin. He did nothing wrong. And everybody who said they loved him betrayed him. Mm, yeah, they turn. He back. wins. But if, if we're going to have the, if my life is the hardest game. He wins because I'm telling you, my story's hard. Hello. I lived it. I totally know it's hard, right? I lived it. There are so many stories like mine. Yeah. One in four girls, one in six boys have been sexually hurt by the time they're 18 years old. This one really in four for girls, one in six. So let's, let's just bring this into perspective. And the, 
And the bottom line, hurt hurts. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what kind of hurt. Mm -hmm. If you get hurt, it hurts you. So there's no competition here. The other part of it too, I love being a guest on on podcasts. I just think it's cool. It's fun. I know it is. Because you get to reach people that you just would never get to sit down at dinner with, right? And Mm -hmm. so I love that aspect of it. But people need to remember that part of my story is this much. Yeah, it's small. What God has done and is continuing to do is this much. Okay. And that is the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. He takes this mess and makes it something not in and of ourselves, but makes, gets, we get to, we get to be on the team. We get to see God do miracles every day. And so uh, people always say, well, you're so sold out to Jesus. I really am. He saved me from a lot. (laughs) He saved me from a lot. I mean, I was a mess. He literally saved me from so many things. And so I had a lot to be forgiven of. I I don't know. People say, well, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? I have no idea. I literally, it's my heartbeat. It's my passion to share Jesus with people. And so, yeah, I just don't know what I would be doing. Well, so how did you decide on 50 shades of grace? Like, I just love that. It's such a great name. Thank you. Okay. So I would love to take credit for it, but I, I I mean, it's brilliant. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It's brilliant. So uh, in 2014, I got really sick for a week. I don't remember what it was, but I was really sick. Um, I don't get sick a lot. And I got sick and I was in bed, not eating. And God began to stir my heart and deal with some things about my marriage, um, some idolatry that I had going on in my life, just some really like eye-opening things, some abuse parts of my story that I hadn't um, given to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was like, we're going to like a butt kick and deal with crud boot camp. That was probably the first one was mine. (laughs) And I remember I journal a lot. That just helps me. I'm a writer. I process, I process a lot with writing and I was writing all this down, which I'm so thankful for now. Cause I look back and I think, Oh God, you're so good. But he gave me the, the name, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to Rick and you're going to get this right with him. Okay. You're going to give him your, there's some stuff you've been holding back from him. You're going to give it to him. Uh, what are you talking about so I had to be obedient for that and he wouldn't let go of it like I had to do that's funny about Jesus he won't let go oh no he loves us enough to not leave us where we are Mm -hmm. what we all deserve is hell but he didn't he loves us enough to not leave us there that's right we have to trust him and not just like literal hell but like hell on earth I mean that's it that's the thing sometimes I'm like listen Christ is so much more than just salvation for eternity like, yes. and that's, a, that would be enough. Yes, exactly. But he's also, tr- he wants oh. to set us free from our hell now. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that. And and so, yeah, he, I had some stuff to deal with, but in that week, I, I, he had given me specifically the name I had had been doing ministry forever and he changed it completely. He said, you're going to do this. You're going to, you're going to host your own show and you're going to change your website. You're going to change all the stuff. And this is what you're going to focus on. And it was then I wrote the words 50 shades of grace. And I was like, are you insane? Dude, what are you doing to me? The Christians are going to, I mean, I'm going to be burned at the stake over this. This is not (laughs) cool. Like this is not good. And I have heard so much junk from people who are Christians that say you're glamorizing, you're, you're highlighting the world and you're glamorizing it and you're selling goods in the temple, basically making money off of what the world is selling and twisting it to make it for Jesus. First of all, I'm not wealthy at all. Um, (laughs) I work hard. I have like 50 jobs just to, so I can keep doing ministry. And so does Rick. That's just our, that's our heart. We're going to keep working Mm -hmm. until he tells us not to. So number one, we're not wealthy people. Number two, I am not smart enough, 
nor cool enough to come up with something so brilliant as that title. And then the movies and the books and all that. I mean, I think I mean, the books might've been out, but I just, I don't know like, that all that stuff came out. And so I, I look back on that and I think you are so good. And mm-hmm. it got really popular after that. And when I looked up on the internet, there was nothing with that name. Now there's several sermon titles that there's, there's several things like that, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I've literally been doing this since 2014. We relaunched the website, everything. And it's just been crazy fun. Well, and when you think though about 50 shades of grace, like what do you actually, what comes to mind? Cause when I hear that, yes, I mean, I hear that it's kind of trendy and it's a spinoff, but I mean, I really think about grace and how cool it is that there are different types of grace that we is poured into our lives, some daily, some circumstantial, some eternal, I mean, all of these things. So what do you think about when you hear shades of grace? Well, I actually wrote one of my first blog articles on the new website was ta- entitled why 50 shades of grace. And here's what he told my heart. And I am a mess, right? I'm a mess I'm f- yeah. filled with sin. Some of the crud happened to me. Some of it I chose for myself, right? Yep. So we're, this is who we are as human beings, flawed, right. sinful, fleshy. And what God does is he takes those shades and he makes it this canvas that's beautiful mm-hmm. in spite of the ugly sin and that he, he makes us this beautiful thing when we surrender and get mm-hmm. real and, and be, be honest with him. For me, I have no idea what the author of the other stuff wanted to convey or was trying to convey. And I, I honestly do not um, have any judgment or anything about any of that stuff, the world stuff. What I will say about for me is part of that title is this is what the world says is cool. This is what the world says is important. Mm-hmm. Fifty Shades of Grace is a complete opposite to what the world is saying with firsthand knowledge of this is what's bad and this is what's good. And the common thread is grace. And that grace comes from Jesus. And it's not just 50 shades, it's 5,000 shades, it's 5 million shades, right? Mm -hmm. But at least 50. At least least 50, at least 50. And so that, that really is the heart behind it. And again, I haven't met anyone who hasn't struggled in their life or hasn't made bad choices or whatever. I mean, I haven't met anyone and 99% of the people that, that I work with that reach out to me, share their stories, share their heart are struggling because they have crud that they haven't dealt with. Yeah. And part of the shades of grace is the crud that happens to us or that we've chosen. It can just layer. It it just adds layer upon layer. Right. And when Jesus gets a hold of that, then it becomes this beautiful thing that we never even saw coming. We didn't even know that could exist, but he did. That's right. And that's the beauty of it. You know, um, choosing his way as opposed to what our, our flesh or the world says, yeah, but this is really cool over here. It's choosing his way and then watch what he does. Yeah. That's the, kind of the, I think the biggest, coolest part of my story is watch what he does. He's just such a Well, show. and I think too, like- when I think of shades, I almost think of this canvas, like you were talking about that. I mean, he is coloring with his grace over time. And that just adds a depth to the beauty, right? Because like you were talking about earlier, 
with trauma that just can trigger you back into something. And then you have to start working through like, oh, dang it. I thought we were over that, you know, but but the Lord in his kindness will a lot of times walk us back through things to show us like, well, no, we really need to still kind of flesh this out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he does, he just keeps painting on um, his, his grace and his kindness that we sometimes don't even recognize. Absolutely. I call those, I call those moments duct tape moments. And I've had several (laughs) over the years that he rips the duct tape off. Now, now, Lord, now, now we're going to deal with it. We're going to talk about this. There's some stuff way down. Yep. We're going to talk about some stuff that's way buried way down deep. Mm -hmm. Um, One of those moments for me is when my oldest was born, my first child was born. I really doubted my ability. I was really scared to have a baby because I didn't want to hurt it. Like I had been hurt. And just the the thought that I could be what she was, was really, um, what my mother was, was really debilitating to be honest with you. And it was my sweet husband that said, you know, you are the mom, specifically you that he chose for these kids. And it really has stuck with me all these years because that's true. He's not a dummy. He doesn't make mistakes. Right. Um, and the other thing was when he came into the world, I remember they took him to the, nur- the nursery, wherever they put him and they took him away. And I sat there crying and I was alone, I think in the restroom or something. And I cried and cried and cried. And it was the grief of why didn't I have somebody crying for me when I was mm-hmm. born, wanting me so desperately, so in love with me, so prayerfully prayed over me before I even came into the world. Why didn't I have that God? Why didn't I get that? Mm -hmm. That was a duct tape moment. I had to deal with that hurt again. Right. Yeah. Because the reality is if you're Mm -hmm. the chosen, the perfect chosen mom for your kids, then your mom is that for you? And that's a hard thing to wrestle with, right? So good. Yes. So good. And, and even in my story, you know, when I'm sharing, that's a, that's so good. I've never heard that phrase like that before. That's really good. Um, even in my story, I'll say, you know, Jesus was without sin. He had every reason to, you know, not forgive yeah. us. And I go through this whole list of things that Jesus did. He could have come and, and summoned the angels and said, get me out of here. Yeah. These people aren't worth it. Why did he do it? Why did he hang on the cross? Why did he take it? Why did he, why did he just hung on there and took it? Why? For a little girl who was being raped and tortured by a man and men and for the girl who was being beaten by her mother and for that man Mm -hmm. that raped and tortured the girl and the woman who beat her child. Mm -hmm. And there's always this gasp in the room when I share that it's the truth and that's hard. And people say, how could you, how could you follow a God that would, that you're okay with that? To be totally honest with you, I don't know no. how I'm okay with it. It's in yeah. my, it's a piece in my, in my gut. It's a piece in my heart that transcends everything. I've forgiven my mother. I've forgiven the man that hurt me. I forgave the men. I, I had to work on that. It wasn't just yeah, a flip, right. a flippant. I don't say that flippantly. Um, people say, well, Sonia, how do you forgive? How do you move on? I just can't move on. I'm mad at my parents. I'm what my siblings, whatever it is, my spouse, and I always say forgiveness, I've, and this is what I've really learned is forgiveness means that you look at the pain, you really look at it. Nobody wants to do that because they think, I don't want to go back there. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you really? Because yeah. I don't think you're fine. You're not responding in a fine way. Right. And so you look at the pain, you look at it, and then you release them from the debt that you think they owe you. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus did for me. Yeah. I owed him a debt for my sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, did those men that raped me, did they owe me something? I mean, at least a, I'm sorry, right? They right. owe me something. Yeah. Did my mother owe me something? Yeah, she did. Yes, absolutely. So I had to look at that 
feel how that felt, work through it, and you keep working through the crud. You keep doing that until it doesn't cause you to respond in a way that's harmful to yourself or to others. Mm -hmm. And when you're ready, you release them from the debt that they owe you. Mm -hmm. Just like when we hurt people, they do that. They should do that for us too. Well, and let me ask you a question as we begin to close up here. Did you ever have any more interactions with your mom ever again? Yes. That's a great question. Yes. So my precious mother-in-law bought me calling cards and sometimes my mom had a lot of mental illness that was discovered after the fact, after I was out of the home and removed and she would call the foster home because that's the last known number she had of where her daughter lived. And this is years ago, you know, I'm, I'm old. I'm in my thirties and forties, like she would call and my mother-in-law got me a calling card because what would happen is my birth mom would reach out to the foster family. The foster family would then let me know because they wouldn't give out my name or my number for safety. They wouldn't give it out, which is great. I was appreciated that. And I had a choice to make to call or to not call. And so I would pray through it and I, and it would be like, you need to call. And this is like, this happened maybe five times in my whole adulthood, right? Where I talked to her. The only time I ever saw her was three months after I was removed from the home the foster care system had, she wanted a visit and they had me go spend the night, which is a shock after the level of abuse I had suffered. And I went and spend the night. And you know what she had me do? She had me throw away every childhood book, every toy. She made me do it as a form torture or abuse or, or hurtfulness. And I was throwing myself away in the trash. So I never saw her again, but I did talk to her five times. And on the last call that I ever talked to her, Rick got to hear her voice he said, you guys sound so much alike. It's weird. It's so weird. I'm like, I know, isn't that weird? And he was listening in and she was talking and she said, I met a, I met a man. She always had a man in her life because that's how she felt love. And he's taken me to church. And I said, oh, that's really good. As long as they share the Bible, that's the main thing is that they tell you the Bible, teach you the Bible. That's the main thing. And Rick is listening to this whole conversation and she's like, yeah. And she said, I've been working hard and he takes me out to eat. He treats me really good. And I'm sorry, I hit you. And, um, it's been really fun and I've been working hard and Rick and I looked at each other across the room and I was like, Oh my word. Like that's the so first many time. Victims, so many victims don't, don't get, ever get apology. Mm-hmm. No. And in her mental illness or her mindset, I don't know what, where, what she knows and what she doesn't. She certainly is fully responsible. That's not what I'm saying, but I don't right. know. I've been out of the home and I'm an adult living my own life. I have no idea what is going on up here. Right. With her. That's right. So for her to say that, that was real to her. I'm sorry. I hurt you. I'm sorry. I hit you. It is a big deal because a lot of it's times. It's a big like, deal. And if it's like a narcissistic person, I mean, you don't get that apology a lot of times. I know. So. And so like. That was a big, I was really thankful to Jesus. That was a sweet little Mm -hmm. thing that he gave me, that little gift. Um, I never did talk to her again. I found out in 2016, she had passed in 2013. Okay. So I, I never, I never knew that, but she has passed away. Well, let's close with this. Your show is Crud Talk. Tell everybody where they can find your show and a little bit what they could expect. So Crud Talk has been, I've been doing a Facebook live video podcast for two years and I've always known that I wanted to take it to the next, the, a different level. And on my speaking engagements, I speak all over to all different groups. Um, I do girls conferences. I do pastor conferences because a lot of pastors want to know, you know, how do we deal with these women or that's these right. kids that are in our congregation? That's so um, mature and responsible actually. And so I do all kinds of stuff. I do crud boot camps all over the country. Um, I've done one in Africa. It's really fun that's cool. helping people deal with their crud. And so crud talk came out of that. 
let's talk, let's have a weekly show where we talk about crud. It's not always the doom and gloom. It can be crud. Like, how do you raise kids? And how do you, culture. yes. How do you, <laughs> let's deal with some not, let's deal with some marriage crud. We do a lot of marriage crud. Let's deal with family crud, the family yeah. dynamics. Um, let's deal with in-laws. Let's deal with, I mean, we talk about it. Let's deal with friendships, good, healthy, unhealthy, right? right. So crud talk is about crud. And it can be different topics. It, it doesn't have to be sexual abuse or physical abuse. Right. Although it's that not does come up. Like so, so heavy. Yes. It's not always about that. It could just be, I'm not really liking my husband this week. So like, how can God change my heart on that? And then we laugh, the girls and I, we laugh or whoever the guest is. And so you can go to my website, sonyabruner.com and you can check out, there's past episodes there. I have 117 episodes of crud talk. The cool thing that I haven't talked a lot about people don't know is happening is there is a group here in Oklahoma that is, has decided they've come forward and they're going to shoot my story Nice on film. And I've been, it's a dream of mine to do that. That's um, great. A lot of people Congrats. ask me, are you going to write a book? Are you going to write a book? I love it because I'm a writer, but God hasn't ever like given me the green light to do it. So I don't want to do it until he gives me the green light, but sharing my story is what I do. And so the cinematographer that's doing it is incredible. He's a great filmmaker. And so we actually shoot my story on, on June 2nd. Oh, that's the initial. So it's coming up. Yeah. I'm really excited because to be able to share, put this on film as a, like a, a mini documentary, if you will, to be able to put it on film and just share other pieces that I don't mm-hmm. normally share when I go out and speak is going to be really cool. And not only that, but I think of missionaries. Um, I have so many stories. People write to me. There was a prostitute in Thailand who had, was with an American man. He went to take a shower when they were done and she stole his Bible and his cash. She went home and they were looking up the movie 50 shades of gray. And they got me and my face. Surprise, surprise. Oh my gosh. She reached out to me and I have that software that you can translate the, the yeah, yeah. language. And she said, if he can save you for all you did, can he save me too? And she got wow. saved. So it's just really, I have story after story. So we, to be able to take that and send it abroad where I could never go, it is going to go places that I could never go. And what God will do with that is so incredible. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. I love the way, honestly, that you see people with hard stories all the time, but the way that you are allowing God to use your hard and your good is, um, it's just, it's an encouragement as a fellow sister in Christ. So thank you. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thanks for all you do too. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend and take a moment to rate and review the podcast on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.